don't necessarily have to have the big piece of furniture up here, but I do like to put down my Bible. So I'm going to try to knock this, or try not to send it that way, too. Anyway, okay, we're good. All right, well, thank you for all of our guests, and especially the Haven School that uh, presented at the start. Um, and I am always amazed at how tough the ladies in our lives are. Uh, my wife's a tough one, and she didn't feel good, and she helped lead us in worship today, so did that. So uh, thankful for all of those ways that people serve in Christ's kingdom and, uh, and encourage you to encourage one another to do the same. Uh, we continue in Acts chapter 5 today, and I debated within my, uh, mainly my mind, not so much the heart on that, on how far to go with it today, but again, we run into a passage that's more transitional. Uh, things begin to shift in the ministry of the apostles, building into what we know as the church. And uh, we uh, last week looked at a very unique spot in scripture, that is Ananias and Sapphira. So those of you who are our guests today, you have great timing to come the week after that. Anyway, uh, that is a tough passage, and, I, and, and it's uh, a picture of how God is at work in the church, even now. Uh, it's not, not easy, not easy to deal with, but um, we continue on, and the apostles continue their ministry. They continue to walk in boldness. They continue to... Uh, in, in, the, in the dangers that are developing to be bold in proclaiming the word of the Lord. So we start in uh, verse 12 through 16, and we're actually going to bounce to a couple of different spots in the New Testament that kind of echo what we see here in Acts chapter 5, 12 through 16. But uh, we will start there, and as usual, I ask you to stand as we honor God and His word and look at verses 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but, held, uh, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. As Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Our Lord, again, a special, special place in Scripture to see your Spirit at work. I pray, God, today that we would recognize that it is your hand that saves, your hand that heals, and that we continue to cling to you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. There are a couple of places that kind of echo these things in the Gospels, and we'll come to those, but um, there's some interesting things that we can learn from this passage along the way. One of the things I want to draw to your mind is on the previous page in your Bible and remind you what the message of the Gospel was and is today, but was for the apostles at that moment. If you turn back one page, it's not on your screen. I trust that you have your scriptures with you. Uh, chapter 4, verse 8, how did Peter answer the high priests when they challenged him? Because we're going to get to that problem again of the high priests and, and the ruling order of the day. 
And uh, Peter says, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the message that they are getting in trouble for proclaiming. And to us, that might seem normal. That's why we're here, right? It's to proclaim the name of Christ. But remember, they're just a few weeks out from killing him as he just proclaimed we see that the, the, the church in its infancy has great boldness, and in that boldness, it's growing exponentially. Even in this chapter 5, we see that they have seen both the hand of generosity and of stinginess between Barnabas and then Ananias and Sapphira, and we see that the God is still at work in the midst of that, showing signs and wonders. Things that cannot be explained. And in our culture today, that's one of the things that that causes the church problems in the culture is that the culture wants to be able to explain everything. They want to be able to show that it's all explainable. We can put it all together in a nice, neat little bow. But the problem is that they want to exclude a creator. They want to exclude, ultimately, Christ from that equation. And it ends up falling apart. It doesn't change the hostility that we see here. Remember, it's the religious leaders that are causing the apostles the struggle. There are amazing and awesome things happening that they don't want to recognize. They want to discount the supernatural. And I think we can easily fall into that trap because we just want to be able to to, to figure things out on our own. But among the wonders that we need to come to terms with is that God is eternal and supernatural and He can do things we could never never imagine. He alone is the author of life. The reason we have life at all is because God has breathed it. It's not an accident. And stop thinking that you are one if you've got that in your mind. God has created you for reason and for purpose. It doesn't mean that in this world that we are perfect and that we will fulfill everything that we think we should, but we are here to fulfill His purpose, and He will lead and guide us in those times. And so in this place here now, we see that the the disciples, and especially Peter, John's not even mentioned here, Peter has become a bit of a celebrity. Now, what's the problem with celebrity? Celebrity is that if your head wasn't big already, it gets a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. Now, I I think there's something to the dichotomy of the situation here. We see this, this swinging back and forth on the pendulum, right? We see that God is doing amazing and powerful things to the work of the disciples. And we see the the praise that's given to somebody like Barnabas for his generosity. And we see the power of God at hand when we see that Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. And Peter calls them out on it and they drop on the site. And they get, just get buried right away. That's, that's a pretty big pendulum, right? And in the midst of it now, we see 
that in chapter, at the end of chapter 4, Peter and John had been arrested. We tend to think of more notable moments where the disciples are arrested. And even now, we're coming back to that next time we look at Acts chapter 5, when we see that the disciples are arrested because of their challenging uh, because of their challenge to the high priests. But they'd already been there. And they keep coming back and forth and back and forth. And we see this cosmic struggle <laughs> happening in Jerusalem. That the God of the universe has brought the solution, but humanity doesn't like it. And that's still our problem today. It may flesh out in differences in different ways than it did 2,000 years ago at the resurrection of Christ. But that's really what we run into today. Is that we, we've all, in our culture, developed a worldview that places us at the center of it. And we get prideful. Zach asked me for, uh, you know, what, what should he read for, he read Philippians chapter 2, and I said something about humility. <laughs> he picked a good one, by the way. Philippians chapter 2 describes what Christ did as the author of the universe to lay down and lay aside his own glory so that the Father's will might be fulfilled, taking the form of a servant's. And what we find here is the Holy Spirit at work in the church bringing that power into the apostles. And they are still servants. And the danger here is that they can, they, they can take the praise for themselves. They really could. Very easily. Let's look at verse, five, or verse 12. How many, now many signs and wonders were regularly, that's a hard word for me to say, regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. So this was normal. Miracles and healings were happening and it was normal. Well, what a place that would be, right? But it's making the leaders in the city more and more uncomfortable because this new normal is not something that they can control. All And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now, this is a place that they have been before. This is where they brought healing to uh, the first guy um, in chapter 3, the guy who had been lame from birth, right? This is where they were. It's outside of the, the, the primary temple. It's in the grounds of the temple. And they're out there preaching. But we see something about their audience is that the church is getting a little timid. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So who was in Solomon's portico? It was the apostles. It was the leaders. It was the ones who had the message to proclaim. And there were still people hearing it, still people believing it. And that is a great challenge to us now, because now we see that he calls those to continue to proclaim the name in the face of danger. And we still see people who say, you know, that, that might be that guy's job, but it's not my job. Yet still God works. It's becoming unsafe for the church. 
Multitudes are coming to the Lord, it says in verse 14. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. People see and hear the message and they respond. Remember, the greatest need that they had, and it's still our greatest need, is not for physical healing. That is a a sign of the greatest need that we have. The greatest need, need we have is forgiveness and ultimately eternal healing from the Lord. And that's the message they proclaim, that Christ died and then rose. And if the, if the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the other leaders of the time, I'm sure Pontius Pilate would love to be shutting up these people right now. If he could get them to, to stop it, Right? It would be nice. But they will not deny what they have seen and what they have heard. And here's the deal. is When we proclaim truth, some people will pay attention and some people won't. Some people who pay attention will believe what you have to say. And some people won't. The numbers are getting smaller. And some people will get mad. Just turn on cable news. We see that even today, the message of the gospel is an offense to the world that does not know him. Why? Because it exposes our reality, that we are sinners. And when we start dealing with our sin, we realize that we're idolaters and that God will not be mocked. He alone is worthy of our worship and our praise. And so we come to that place now where we want to see him at work. And we have our first celebrity preacher. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. How do you think that went for him? We don't know. All we know is that Peter has the notoriety. They know who this guy is. And that he, by his hand at least, has done some pretty amazing things. And they think that just being in his shadow might bring them some sort of healing. We don't have a response of the people here. What we do see, or we don't see a result by this act, what we do see is that people recognize the power that is in Peter. And that is the Holy Spirit. They're seeing what God is doing through the church. And it's having both a positive consequence and a negative one. People see the hand of God at work, and they say, I want more of that. And then they see the hand of God at work and say, there's no way that could be the work of God, because that's not how I think he does it. Am I wrong? And you look at the, at, the, at the way the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all the leaders of the day responded to Jesus and then to the apostles, that's exactly what's happening. That passage we, we talked about earlier, Philippians 2, shows that Christ was the antithesis of what they expected. He is not who they expected him to be. He is the humble servant. I read a couple of different things that brought out some ideas, and I, and I want to come back to that passage I talked about with the kids a little bit earlier. Mark, uh, oh, foo, I just lost my, there we go. I didn't totally lose it. Mark chapter 5. This is a, a well-known uh, story, 
And it's in the midst of another story. Leading up here, Jesus is, is walking through Capernaum, I believe it is. And there's a synagogue ruler whose daughter is sick named Jairus or Jairus, however you want to say it. Okay. And um, I have said it Jairus for so many years, I have a hard time changing that. Isn't that how it works sometimes? This thing, you speak, you speak to it and it transcribes things for you. I don't think I have an accent until I hear what this thing comes up with. <laughs> All right, anyway. We see that Jairus' daughter needs healing. The synagogue ruler takes the risk of asking Jesus to do it. And on the way, they're pushing through the crowds. And a, a woman who has been ill for 12 years touches the hem of his garments. And at that moment, her faith, because she knew God could do it, her faith healed her. Was it her action that healed her? No, it was the trust in the Lord. Let's read that. And a great crowd, uh, the second part of the verse here, yeah. Uh, and he went with him. That's why I talked about Jairus. Uh, and he went with him. That's the synagogue ruler. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. What kind of language is that? And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. We, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Such confidence, right? And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? <laughs> And his disciples, and Peter's right there with him, right? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and, you, and yet you say, who touched me? That's crazy talk, right? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. If faith is that the God of the of, of the scriptures, the creator of the universe, will heal. It doesn't work out that way for every single person, but it does work out eternally if you place your trust in him. This woman still died. The disciples aren't here anymore. Jesus died and rose. That's a little bit different. I don't know if you ever thought about that. It's a pretty permanent state to stop breathing. There's no more oxygen going in and out. It's done. But we see that the trust in that God is what brought healing. Do we trust our Lord like that? Do we trust him to bring new life where death reigns? Friends, that affects everything about what we do in life, about why we serve, about who we serve, when we recognize that the God of all creation has conquered death, and he alone is the one who brings true eternal healing. But this, this, this attitude of the day continues. I'm, I'm not, this is early in the gospel or middle of the gospel of Mark. Not really sure the time range between his time in Capernaum, and, but it's within a couple of years at least, right? 
we see that this desperation is throughout the world. That they just want to be healed. They want that power at work in their lives. And it's not any different in the 21st century. We can turn on the air conditioner. God bless the swamp cooler. It'll cool it off in here a little bit at least. Won't work in Oklahoma though. Don't try those down there. Um, but we see, we have climate control, we have lights, we can put it on the internet, we can see all these different things, but it all comes back down to why are we here? All of these things that make our lives a little more comfortable to help us move a little bit faster, dropping, in, you know, sitting down in your car and driving here instead of having to walk. Some of you still be walking. Some of you would have said, you know, I'm just staying home. We work to deal with our own physical problems all the time, and we come up with very ingenious ways to do it. But we still haven't conquered that one problem. It's that we all die. And if we don't know Christ, the Bible says we will be separated eternally from Him in hell. How do you come to faith? You receive that gift of salvation, that he has paid the price for your sins. And when you trust in him, he brings healing beyond the body, but to your entire existence for eternity. So that now we live with the hope of salvation when this day is done. That is the hope of the gospel. You've all gone to sleep on me. Here, am I that boring? That's our hope, guys. That's why we are in this room right now, is because the gospel message has been proclaimed throughout time. But the problem we run into, and maybe this is part of our problem, is that, well, especially in 21st century America, maybe not quite as much as it was a few years back, we end up in kind of a, a middle-class faith where we don't really understand the poverty by which these people are coming to Christ. Because even the poorest in our day don't necessarily understand poverty the way these people did. They didn't have anything. If they couldn't work, they didn't eat. And so this healing truly mattered. And so now we, in this, in the, and I get this idea from the commentators I read, uh, we, we tend to think of our, our faith helping to make us a little more comfortable where we are rather than actually saving us from the depths of hell. Matthew chapter 4, before the Sermon on the Mount, immediately before the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus ministers to great crowds. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. I mean, this is not in Judea, but in Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. 
And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. They're following him all over the place because they see what he is doing. Have you ever thought about what our lives might be like if we tried to reflect Christ like that? Perhaps God might use us. There's no, no problem with God healing anybody. Okay, He tells us to pray for the sick around us, to anoint them. He tells us that we are to do these things, but He ultimately calls us, and, and it comes down to back to this lady who, who touched Him, to trust Him to do it. And, and you might be able to draw a crowd with pretty words, but it doesn't stay unless it's got substance. And the only substance that matters is Christ risen. Christ, the healer. The gospel draws the desperate. Have we truly examined our hearts, not necessarily our bank accounts, but our hearts about our desperate need for salvation. Because when we recognize our depravity, we recognize our sinful states, we recognize how desperately we need the Lord, He changes us from within. He brings new life when we trust in Him. Think about all of these people. Peter could have been, there's, you know, All kinds of celebrity preachers, we see them actually even pop up through the book of Acts. We see people come out and and proclaim something they think is big, and and until they meet the God of the Gospels, Jesus, they think they're doing something cool. And Peter and John and James and ultimately Paul and, and everybody, when they come to faith in Christ, it changes everything. All of a sudden, we realize how, what we really need, and they give it all up to follow Him. The call of the gospel is a call for the desperate, and it's a call to follow Him, to do the things He's called us to do, to love one another, to provide for those in need, to, to lift up those around us and pray for them. And to lay aside any glory that we might bring in ourselves. I don't think it's an accident here that we see that the people that might be laying laying them out that Peter's shadow might be cast. What does it say happened when they walked past Peter's shadow? Or Peter walked past them in their shadow? It didn't say anything happened. You know why? Because it didn't. The message of the gospel brings hope. And healing. If you today are trying to depend on things of this world to save you, it's not going to work. The only thing that saves is the God who reigns. And by the risen power of Jesus Christ. Will you follow him? Will you trust him? Will you recognize his authority? And will we be willing to follow him to the point of death, even death on a cross?
He calls us to be like him. That's not an easy call. But that's where he wants us. So trust him in all things. Let's pray. God, you are faithful to us. You are good to us. Help us to, um, to trust you. Help us to recognize your hand at work. Help us to realize that there's 